We turn now to Psalm number 31. Psalm number 31, it's page 604 in the Chapel Bible. Psalm 31, and I direct your thoughts to the first part of verse 15. My times are in thy hand. The whole verse reads, My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. This psalm of David begins with prayer and ends with encouragement. He opens with the words, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. And ends with, Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Now David wasn't looking at these things from a merely academic point of view. He knew the truth from hard experience. He knew about prayer, he knew about a God who heard and answered prayer, and because of his own answers and the way God drew near to bless him, he was able to encourage others. And this may be a word for you this morning. You need to begin with prayer. If you're not saved, you must begin with prayer. And as you begin with prayer, the Lord will hear and he will answer. And you then will be able to encourage others likewise to pray as you have done because you will taste that the Lord is gracious. And when you come to that experience, you will be able to testify of these things to others. David then was a man who knew the Lord in trying times, difficult experiences, but he was able to say, my times are in thy hand, acknowledging that there is a God in heaven who rules and overrules all things for good. So these things are written for our encouragement, but I want to just point out to you some of the, the highlights, some of the main points in this psalm before we come to the words of verse 15 in particular. David is speaking regarding deep troubles and sorrows. He has subtle enemies. You can read the psalm again to pick these things up later. But in verse 9 and 10, he particularly speaks of his tears. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eyes consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquities, and my bones are consumed. David was no stranger to tears. All of us know something about tears, don't we? Even as grown-ups, sometimes we can't help but be moved to tears by certain experiences. Sometimes happy experiences, but sometimes experiences of great sorrow and heartache. You see, to be one of the Lord's people doesn't mean everything is going to go swimmingly in your life. God has not promised skies ever blue or a flower-strewn pathway all our lives through. We're going to experience trials and tests to our faith. And David speaks these things under divine inspiration by the Spirit of God. He spoke and wrote these things for our instruction. He speaks of being reproached in verse 11. He speaks of being lonely in verse 12. I'm forgotten as a dead man out of mine. I'm like a broken vessel. He testifies that he experienced slander, verse 13 and verse 18. But he could trace the hand of God even in all these dark and difficult experiences. He knew that he was uh, in the gracious purposes of God. He was under God's hand and God's control. This was his confidence. You can summarize this psalm by saying David is showing his confidence 
and his longing desire for the Lord's help. And that really is where a healthy Christian finds himself to be. The times of spiritual health aren't necessarily when everything is going well. Sometimes the best times in Christian experience is when things are very, very difficult and faith shines through as a light in the darkness and we're able to trust in the Lord even when we cannot trace him, when we don't know what's going to happen, what the next day might bring. We don't know perhaps what decision to make, but we're trusting in the Lord nevertheless. And so we find ourselves having to flee to the Lord for help. Oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I, my soul in its sorrows and conflicts will fly. So sinful, so weary, thine, thine would I be, thou blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in thee. That's the secret in this psalm, hiding in the rock of ages, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in a gospel sense, there's nowhere else to go for the guilty sinner. You must flee to Jesus Christ, the rock of ages. He has suffered and died for sinners. He only can save you by his grace. So our first main consideration is to remember that God is in control of all things. He is in control of all things. What an encouragement this is to us. What a depressing thing it would be to have to say that this world is just made up of random events and everything in your life is just chance happenings and you have no idea whether anything is going to work out for good or not. How depressing if that was the case. But faith views the promises of God's word and we know that God is working out his purposes as year succeeds to year. And even with unbelievers, they are sometimes aware and even will say certain things would intimate that they are aware that there must be some higher power ordering things even in their lives. Sometimes you hear people saying, we have to thank our lucky stars. Well, let me tell you, there's no such thing as lucky stars. It's giving to the stars credit for what belongs to God. He is on the throne and he is in control of all things. Don't look to the stars for guidance. Look to the Lord and to the Lord alone. I remember when I was in the motor trade, one customer talking about her husband who was in hospital. He got various serious operations that had to be performed. And she said, at the end of the day, we're in the hands of the gods. Now, she was wrong because there's only one God. We're in the hand of God and no other. If we're in our right mind, that's where we want to be and nowhere else, in the hand of God. And that was where David was at this time in his life. We don't know precisely at what point in David's life he wrote this psalm. It could well be when he's being pursued by his father-in-law, King Saul. What a trying experience that was for David. He had been anointed as king over Israel, but it was so tried and so tested, it looked sometimes like it would never happen as if God's purposes might fail after all. And sometimes David's faith was a low ebb. I will one day perish at the hand of Saul, he said on one occasion. That wasn't faith, that was the language of unbelief. But here we see David is best, looking to the Lord, knowing that all his times are in God's hands. How thankful we should be to know that there is a God who is on the throne, who is working his purposes out. Yes, Satan is busy. Satan is powerful, Satan is subtle, and he's crafty, and he's doing his utmost to cause confusion in this world. But he's not on the throne. God 
is on the throne. Yes, we live in a wicked world. This world is getting worse and worse and that can't be denied. Some foolishly think that it's going to get better eventually and there'll be no more wars, there'll always be peace, but that's just a foolish notion. There's no such thing as utopia. God has told us that this world will continue in its wicked state until he comes again to judge this world finally. So let us remind ourselves that the Lord reigns and he's ruling in all things. This is our comfort and our consolation if we're trusting in the Lord. You may have things in your life you really can't explain, you really can't understand them, but faith looks to the Lord and we put our trust in him. Even Nebuchadnezzar, though he was an ungodly man, he could testify that God is sovereign in all things, and he learned an important lesson regarding this particular point. In Daniel chapter 4, and in verse 35, this is one of the great statements in the scriptures regarding the sovereignty of God. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? No one can question what God is doing. Well, no one has a right to question. God is on the throne. He is sovereignly working out his purposes. If God is not sovereign, then he's not God at all, is he? It's a, it's a misunderstanding of the nature and character of God to imagine that he's not properly in control. Earthly rulers, tyrants, wicked men sometimes think they are in control. President Putin thought he's in control, but he's not, ultimately. And those who think they're in control and carry out atrocities and all manner of wickedness, they will have to render an account for their conduct before Almighty God. In the meantime, let's remind ourselves then the Lord is ruling and reigning. But it's true not just in a general sense that God is working things together for good. It's true for individual believers. We can trace God's hand in our lives. As we look back, we can see how God has been at work and has performed things for his purpose and for our good. Notice David says, My times are in thy hands. It's a very personal confession and acknowledgement. And one thing that's very important regarding the scriptures is the personal application of the truth to our hearts. Don't rest content with just a general knowledge of the things of God, just a kind of technical intellectual understanding of the plan of salvation and God's character and his attributes. We need to know these things, but don't rest in just an outward knowledge. We need to know by personal experience this true God of heaven as he's made himself known to us in his beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, David was aware of this, that we have a heavenly Father who loves his children. He knew he was one of God's children. He knew that God knew best. And he knows that God is gracious and he's wise. And he loves every one of his children. And he never makes mistakes. David has so many things he couldn't really explain. So many setbacks, it so it appeared. So many things that were contrary to what he wished them to be. But he knew at the end of the day, there were no mistakes with God. 
He also was fully aware that God is a God who forgives. David made many mistakes. He was a sinner. He was conscious of that. But he confessed, even in this psalm, he confesses his sins and his iniquities. He says in verse 10, My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. He was deeply conscious and convicted of his failures and his sins, but he knew he had a heavenly Father who was gracious and merciful towards him. He knew that one day the Saviour would come, and through the coming of that Saviour he knew that his sins could be forgiven. And so he looked ahead to the coming of Christ by a prospective faith and was forgiven on the account of Christ performing his work of salvation. He knew that God is ever trustworthy, that we can trust him at all times, not just when things are going well, but at all times we can trust the Lord. Romans 8 verse 28 is a well-known verse, isn't it? That all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. It has been described as the family secret because it's only true of a believer. You, can, you can't say to an unbeliever when things are going badly for them, you can't pat them on the back and say, well, all things work together for good. You don't know that. But it is true of God's people who are trusting in him. Of course, we need sensitivity in saying this and how we say it. If someone's been suddenly bereaved and they're overwhelmed with distress on that account, it doesn't need someone to rather breezily say to them, well, all things work together for good. That'd be very unhelpful, wouldn't it? It needs to be said appropriately at the right time to strengthen their faith and to encourage them. But it is true and always true that all things work together for good to them that love God. Are you trusting in the Lord, in the trials and tribulations of life, your health problems, your family problems, your work difficulties, and all the other difficulties you might like to name? And perhaps you can't name them to anybody else. But are you trusting in the Lord? I trust that this message this morning will strengthen your faith even though you cannot see the way ahead and you perhaps have great fears concerning what the future might bring. But know this, that the unknown future is in the hand of a known God and we can put our trust in him at all times. Do you remember that great statement in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 on the subject of times and seasons? Let me just remind you of these well-known words. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to, to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Now, many sermons no doubt could be preached on those famous words, but just be encouraged this morning 
Our times are in the hands of the Lord. And in our right minds, that's how we want it to be. And we'll be trusting the Lord, resting in him, and waiting patiently for him. Whether it be in sickness, or in health, whether in poverty, or wealth, whatever experiences we may pass through, the Lord is able to help us through. One great hymn on the subject of our times being in God's hand was written by John Ryland. He was not too far away from here for many years, pastor in Northampton. He experienced great sorrows in his life. His first wife died after childbirth. And uh, he was writing then from hard experience when he wrote this hymn, Sovereign Ruler of the Skies, Ever Gracious, Ever Wise, All My Times Are in Thy Hands, All Events at Thy Command. His decree who formed the earth, fixed my first and second birth, parents, native place and time, all appointed were by him. Times of sickness, times of health, times of penury and wealth, times of trial and relief, times of triumph and relief. Well, it's a wonderful hymn that summarises this great subject of my times being in God's hands. Also, there are disappointments that prove to be in God's hands. Some of us can look back to things that happened perhaps years ago. You hoped it might happen. You had your anticipations. Things might work out as you planned in your mind and as you desired, but it didn't. Maybe it proved to be a very deep disappointment at the time, but maybe you can look back now and you can thank God for that disappointment. You can see that it wasn't God's will and he had something better for you instead. And so faith reflects and reviews the past and we can look back and give glory to God for the things he has done. Man proposes but God disposes. Yes, we may have our plans and our ambitions and our schemes. We need to commit all our ways to the Lord and put our trust in him. There's an interesting little poem uh, that uh, I'll come to in a moment, but I need to explain something for the children and perhaps for those of you that English isn't your first language. You think of the word disappointment, beginning with D, then you think of the phrase his appointment, beginning with H, you put those two together, just change one letter, disappointment becomes his appointment. And the poem is this, disappointment, his appointment, change one letter, then I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better plan for me. And some of us can say that, God's better plan for us. And we praise him on that account. We can say wholeheartedly and feelingly, my times are in thy hand. And you look back to the past, you think of the present, think of the future, it's true. Every direction you look, it's true of those who are trusting in the Lord. There's no situation that we can come into and it's not part of God's purpose. It's all part of his working out of things together for good. The rough and the smooth, the sad and the happy, the easy and the perplexing, all these different experiences in life come and go as the Lord purposes and pleases. And he's able to transform even the, what you might call, common and ordinary trials of life into a school of discipline for us. 
You may have the same trial, perhaps, as an ungodly person that you know. You're passing through, perhaps, a very similar thing. They may fret and rebel against the Lord, and they may be angry at God because of their trials, whereas as God sanctifies your troubles to you, you can praise him for it, knowing this, that he is working things out for his glory and for your spiritual good and discipline, that you might grow in grace as a result of these trials. We sang earlier, didn't we, that lovely hymn, God holds the key to all unknown, and I am glad. If other hands should hold the key, or if he trusted it to me, I might be sad. I cannot read his future plans, but this I know, I have the smiling of his face, and all the refuge of his grace, while here below. Enough, this covers all my wants, and here I rest. For what I cannot, he can see, and in his care I saved shall be, forever blessed. Are you able to say by faith, I know, and I'm thankful that my times are in God's hands. It was true in the past, it's true today, it's going to be true in the future, and true for a never-ending eternity, because the Lord's people are eternally united to him through his beloved Son. But then I can't leave this subject without drawing your attention to the fact that this psalm, it's not just about David, it's not just about you and me, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a classic Messianic psalm. Christ is here very conspicuously. Maybe you noticed it as we read through this chapter. Do you recognize the words of verse 5? Into thine hand I commit my spirit. The last words our Lord Jesus Christ spoke on the cross before he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. And the language of this psalm speaking of reproach and enemies and grief and sorrow and loneliness. This is the language of Christ while here below as he suffered as he suffered in the place of others, suffering on behalf of his people. Now, just by way of general guidance, <clears throat> you may be wondering, does every psalm speak to us of Jesus Christ? Does every verse in every psalm speak to us of Christ? And how can we determine which is referring to Christ and which is referring to the psalmist? Well, <clears throat> There are certain verses in the Psalms that cannot possibly refer to our Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, I was born in sin and shapen in iniquity. That cannot possibly refer to our Lord Jesus Christ. But then there are other verses that cannot possibly refer to any person, any merely mortal man. You take, for example, Psalm 72 and verse 5. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. It's initially referring to Solomon and a prospect of his reign. David was writing in prospect of Solomon taking the throne and he was going to experience a reign of great peace and prosperity. But a greater than Solomon is there because it refers to this one, this great king being uh, honoured and respected throughout all generations. And that's referring, of course, to our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are psalms that often speak of both 
the psalmist's experience, but also speaks to us of Christ. But also at the same time, remember, some cannot refer to Christ and others cannot refer merely to the psalmist. Let us always have an eye for finding Christ in the Old Testament as well as the New. Well, the times of our Lord Jesus Christ were in God's hands. In the fullness of time, he left heaven according to the ancient promises and came to this world. Born as a baby in Bethlehem and laid there in a manger. It was all part of God's perfect timing. Just when it was right in this world's history, the Old Testament people of God had been praying and longing and anticipating the coming of Christ generation after generation, century after century, and at last, around about 4,000 years after creation, our Lord Jesus Christ came in the fullness of times. His times at Nazareth were in God's hands as he lived as a child, perfectly obeying his parents, perfectly uh, honouring God in his life. And for those silent years in Nazareth, his times were in God's hands. And then about the age of 30, he came forward in his public ministry. This time also was in his hands. He was fulfilling the purposes of God, honouring his heavenly Father, making known the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. His times then in every sense of the word were in God's hands, even his temptation in the wilderness. It was all part of the, the necessary experience of our Lord Jesus Christ who come to save his people from their sins. His ministry was a ministry of dependence upon God time and again. He turned aside to pray, sometimes praying all night, praying for help and assistance as he laboured here below, praying for power to accompany his ministry as he performed miracles as signs to demonstrate who he was as the true Messiah. And none could lay a finger on him because his times were in God's hands. Yes, they took counsel to, to put him to death. And there were times when it seemed he was very close and they appeared to as he will almost get to the point of putting him to death. But it couldn't happen until the very time appointed when he has laid down his life, a ransom for many, and die that cruel death on Calvary's cross. Now there's two things to say about this. One is this, the death of Christ was the, this world's greatest miscarriage of justice. Perfect man who had done nothing amiss was condemned to a cruel death. It was man's greatest miscarriage of justice. But God was behind it all because Christ, as the great sin bearer, was bearing sin and scoffing rude. In our place condemned, he stood. Jesus, in the sinner's place, he was standing at the divine tribunal. He was being judged by his heavenly Father. And the wrath of God was poured out upon him because he was charged with the guilt of all the sins of all of his people. And therefore he must die because his times were in God's hands and he must die and provide a ransom for many, a perfect salvation. So here then is the language of Christ. My times are in thy hands, all his sufferings and his death, the agony of Calvary, as well as the sorrows of Gethsemane, all those times 
were in God's hands. And also the glorious resurrection from the dead, the third day, his ascension to heaven, his enthronement to the Father's right hand, all these things were in God's hands. A plan was being put into effect and nothing uh, could be left undone. The work must be completed to provide a perfect salvation for everyone who believes. So we see our Lord Jesus Christ then in this psalm and in this text. But we come back to this consideration that as we see the Saviour, as we see the working out of God's purposes, here is a message of encouragement to our hearts. In times of testing, times of trial, times of grief, times when we can't understand what has happened. I remember many years ago when something happened that was deeply disappointing and an old lady said to me, she said, Graham, as I look back in my life, I think back to certain things that happened and I can now see why they happened as they did. But there are some things I look back on and I still don't know why they happened. It may be like that for you. You can explain why some things happened like they did, but there are some things that are still perplexing, still dark, and still mysterious. But that's where faith comes in, isn't it? To trust the Lord even in the dark. To trust him when we cannot trace him, when we cannot observe or see his hand. We know that he is working things for our good. Well, this is the very opposite of fatalism. To say, my times are in thy hands. This is not a kind of shrug of the shoulder and saying, well, what will be, will be, and we must just bow to the inevitable. No, this is the language of faith and confidence and trust. This is what we are to, to aspire to, to aim for, to ask God to give us the faith to believe and to trust in him in all the experiences of life. It has been said that the life of a Christian is a rich mosaic of times and seasons. And that's true, isn't it? I speak to those particularly who are long-experienced believers. Your life has been a rich mosaic of times and seasons. Well, here then we need submission. When we can't understand, when we can't explain, we need the grace of submission. There's a story told of a, a travelling preacher years ago who, who used to take with him a small tapestry and he would show the reverse side, first of all, to the people. And all they could see was a jumble of various coloured pieces of thread. It seemed to make no sense whatsoever. And he'd go on to explain that sometimes this is how our lives appear to be. You can't understand why all these dark threads and why there seems to be no rhyme nor reason to it. And then he would turn it round and the people would read, God is love. And that's how we are to understand, as we are trusting in the Lord, in all the trials and tribulations or difficulties, all the perplexities, all the dark threads which we can't really put together in our minds, we are to see the reverse side by faith, that God is love. As one poem has said, not till the loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly, will God unroll the canvas and explain the reasons why. The Lord Jesus Christ on one occasion said, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And if by faith we embrace that great truth and find comfort in it, then like David, 
We will willingly say, my times are in thy hand.